out. Um, the first thing I have to talk about is I gotta address the elephant in the room here. I'm wearing khakis today, and this never happens, and I'm sorry. I didn't wash my jeans this week, so I'm not trying to get all fancy here. I, I just did do laundry this week. That's why I'm wearing khakis. Um, my parents asked me, because uh, they watch online a lot of times, they're like, do you have any jeans that don't have holes in them? We can buy you some if you need them. I'm like, that's cool, but they don't. That's why I'm wearing khakis today. You know, when I wake up in the morning, my first thought isn't, I should talk to an invisible being about my day. Like, that might be your first thought, right? But my first thought isn't, I'm going to talk to this invisible person I can't see, who doesn't talk back, or doesn't seem to talk back. That's how I'm going to start my day. I mean, maybe you wake up thinking that, but I wake up and I'm like, what's on my schedule today? What emails have I gotten? What do I have to do? I stumble around, I find coffee, I jump into the first thing I've got and got to do, and often I forget to talk to God at all. And sometimes it's like later on in my day, and I'm like, oh yeah, I'm a pastor, I should probably pray. Like I'm a Christian, I should probably pray. Like I just get started doing things, and, and I forget to pray a lot of times. And I think a lot of you would probably admit that's the same for you. In fact, I think praying is hard. It's hard. It doesn't come natural. It's not easy. And it isn't physically hard. It's not like afterwards I'm like, whoa, I got into a sweat praying. But it is spiritually hard. It's spiritually hard work to pray, to stop and talk to God. Now, over the last few weeks, we've been talking about the spiritual disciplines, how practicing the behaviors that Jesus Christ practiced on earth will build our spiritual muscles. We've talked about the fact that, you know, Jesus said some things that seem impossible. He said, love your enemies. Have you ever had someone who just hurt you deeply or hurt someone you loved? And you're like, how am I supposed to love them, Jesus? Or Jesus said, don't be anxious about anything. And sometimes I look at these commands and I'm like, I'm just not strong enough to do it. And by practicing the spiritual disciplines, we build our spiritual muscles so we can be obedient to live and love like Jesus. But prayer is hard because bench pressing is hard. Have you ever gone to the gym and bench press? I'm super weak. Darby makes fun of me because my arms are the same diameter all the way down. She's like, you have no muscle tone. What do you have noodle arms? And, um, but bench pressing is really hard, but it's a good heart. It's a heart that builds your muscles. And you know, after you work out of the gym, you're sore, but it's like a good sore. You're like, I did something. I'm getting stronger. I, my muscles are growing. And prayer is hard like that because prayer builds our spiritual muscles so we can live and love like Jesus. Now, over the last few weeks, we've talked about the spiritual disciplines. We've talked about silence and solitude, simplicity, sacrifice and self-denial, submitting to spiritual authority. But now we're in the final three. Last week, we talked about worship. This week, we're talking about prayer. And next week, we're going to talk about scripture. Now, I call these final three spiritual disciplines the big three. Because all the other spiritual disciplines come into play in these final three spiritual disciplines. And so today, like I said, we're talking about prayer. Now as you look at the life and behavior of Jesus, prayer stands out. It's a constant practice and topic in his teaching. In fact, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, the story of Jesus, there's over 90 instances of Jesus praying or teaching about prayer. All the uh, uh, sorry, and uh, here's just a few examples of all the times that Jesus talked about prayer. Just a couple examples of where we see Jesus praying in the Gospels. In Luke 3:21, it says, "While he was praying, heaven was opened, 
he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went away to a secluded place, and was praying there. Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. It happened that while he was praying alone, Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed. He left them again and went away and prayed a third time. It happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, he went off to the mountain to pray. He spent the whole night in prayer to God. Some children were brought to him so that he might lay his hands on them and pray. I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, Jesus said. And Jesus spoke these things and lifted up his eyes to heaven to pray. And that's just a few of the times that it talks about Jesus praying over and over again. In the story of the life of Jesus, we see where he's constantly talking about praying, he's constantly praying, he's constantly teaching about prayer. And his disciples saw this, his followers who were trying to learn to live and love like he did, they saw that he was constantly praying and talking about prayer. And so they said to him in Luke 1, 11, 1, Lord, will you teach us to pray? Like, will you teach us? You seem to see something or see a meaning or value in prayer that we don't see. You seem to pray in a way that we don't understand. Will you teach us to see prayer like you see prayer, to pray like you pray? And the passage that we know as the Lord's Prayer is really an extended passage where Jesus teaches his disciples about the importance of prayer and how to pray. So today, as we're looking at the spiritual discipline of prayer, we're going to look at what Jesus taught his disciples about prayer in Matthew chapter 6. And so in Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 13, it says this. Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, because they love to pray standing in the synagogue and on the street corners to be seen by people. And we don't have any church people like that today, right? There's no religious people like that anymore. That was something that happened a long time ago. He says, truly I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into a private room and shut your door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, because your Father knows the things you need before you even ask. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil. So you'll notice here the first thing that Jesus teaches his followers about prayer is a warning. He says, don't pray like this. That's something you don't expect Jesus to say, right? He says, don't pray if you're going to pray just to be seen by people. He warns us not to pray for the wrong reason. See, prayer is not a religious exercise. It is an experience in the presence of God. If you're just like, man, I want to impress people by praying a lot, or this is just a box i got to check because these are the things i got to do to look religious or spiritual, Jesus says you're missing the point of prayer. We don't pray to impress people. We pray to have intimate time with God. Now, if you've ever been in a room with a bunch of pastors, but somebody starts praying, this is a horrible experience. I'm just going to tell you. Um, every pastor tries to outdo the person who prayed before. Pastors got some Okay, and I can say that because I'm a pastor, right? Uh, but pastors, a lot of times, they got all this pride and this ego. And you get pastors together, and one prays, and they're like, oh, I can talk that. And so the next one prays, and they've got to make it more flowery, more beautiful, more grandiose than the one who came before. I was at a gathering of pastors a couple months ago, and one stands up, a uh, pastor stood up, and he's like, God, we know that you are good. 
The Greek word for good is blah, 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 you know. But you're also this Greek word, blah, 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 blah. It goes on and on for like 10 minutes long, a super long prayer. Now, does God know Greek? Absolutely. Was that pastor sharing all the Greek words he knew to impress God? No. He was sharing that to impress all the other pastors around him. Man, that guy actually remembers something from Greek class. I don't remember anything, you know. It, it was trying to impress the people who were there rather than actually trying to experience the presence and sometimes that's how we pray, especially if we pray out loud. We're like, oh man, I gotta impress the people listening rather than trying to experience the presence of God. We want people to think we're smart or we're spiritual, and that's completely missing the point of prayer. You know, the best prayer is not a carefully crafted poem. The best prayer is not a carefully crafted, beautiful, grandiose narrative. The best prayer is an authentic. One where you're honest with God about what you're experiencing, what you're feeling, and what you need from Him. The best prayer is one where you're speaking to God and not worrying about anyone else, what they're thinking, what they're saying, what they're doing. It's just you and God. If you say, I'm going to practice the spiritual discipline of prayer. I'm going to make prayer an important practice. But you do that. And you say, you know what, I'm going to pray an hour a day, but I'm going to tell everybody about it so they're super impressed that I pray an hour a day. You're missing the point of prayer. If you do it just to say, I'm going to check off this religious box, religious spiritual people are supposed to pray, so I'm going to do it. Your, your prayer is worthless. God wants us to come to him and long to be in his presence. In 1 Corinthians 13, 2, Paul says, if I have the gift of prophecy, and I can understand every mystery, and I have all knowledge in the universe, and I have faith that can move a mountain, but I do not have love, I am nothing. And I think sometimes our prayers are full of great, beautiful wording. They're full of lots of passion. But if they don't have a deep love for God, a deep desire to be in God's presence and love, we're praying for the wrong reason. If you pray for five hours a day, but it's not an expression of your love for God and a longing for you to be in the love of God, you're wasting your time. See, prayer is not just asking God for things. Prayer is dwelling in the presence of God. And I think sometimes, especially as I talk to new people who are exploring faith, they're like, I don't know how to pray the right prayer. I don't know how to pray the perfect prayer. Don't wait until you can pray a perfect prayer. Prayer is simply talking to God and enjoying His presence. The perfect prayer is an honest prayer. Not one that people are like, oh, we need to write this down because this is the most beautiful thing I've ever heard. God is interested in the beauty coming out of your heart, not the beauty coming out of your mouth. The perfect prayer is a prayer bathed in your love for God, crying out for God's love for Jesus here continues to give us some practical advice in verse 6. He says, when you pray, go into a private room and shut your door. Jesus often, in those verses that I read earlier, he went to lonely places. He went to mountaintops and he went to wildernesses. And he went to these places where there weren't a lot of people around so that he could focus on God. See, prayer is easier when we separate ourselves from distractions like cell phones and email, and radio, and TV, and other people. We need moments where we stop and seek God, where He takes our full attention and focus. Our soul needs those moments in order to grow. Jesus suggests going into a closet or a private room and closing the door and blocking everything out and spending some time with God. 
turning off the music and the TV and the radio and the internet and asking God to remind you of his love. You know, I usually pray as I do something else because I'm a busy person. Like, I don't waste any time. I get in the shower. I'm also listening to a podcast on leadership, church growth, development, something else. You know, I don't want to waste that time. If I have to run an errand, I pop in my headphones and I'm also re-reviewing an old sermon to see how I could do better. You know, like I don't want to waste any time on the tape. And so oftentimes I'm praying while I'm driving or I'm praying as I ride my bike. And that's good. We should be praying as much as we can. But there's something to be said about a moment where you stop doing everything else and you say the only thing I'm going to do is talk to God and focus on his presence. Sometimes we need to block everything else out and say, I need to just be with God. Perhaps the reason that we don't hear from God more often or more clearly is because we don't stop and stay in his presence very long or very often. We're trying to pick up little snippets of what he's saying while we're doing something else. We give him very little of our attention and then we expect him to be very clear about his direction for our life. You know, if I sit down to dinner with Darby, take her out to dinner, we're sitting down, and the whole time I'm on my cell phone answering emails, answering text messages, she doesn't feel like I'm very close to her. At the end of the meal, I'm not like, man, we really bonded tonight. I might have got a lot of other things done, but because of the distractions, I never looked her in the eye, I never listened to her, I was never with her in the moment, and a lot of us pray like that. We pray very distracted prayers because we never just stop and sit in the presence of God. And when we do stop, sometimes we're in such a rush to say what we need that we just don't stop and sit with God for a minute. At the end of verse 6 there, Jesus said that the Father will reward you when you pray. The Father who sees in secret will reward you. There's a reward that comes from praying. You say, well, obviously, Alex, I'm asking for stuff, and the reward is I get what I wanted, right? That's a reward for prayer. I don't think so. I think the reward for praying is experiencing the love of God. No matter what you pray for, if you spend time with God, you experience his love. He might say no to what you're asking for, but he'll always say yes to loving you. The reward for praying is not only you get to experience the love of God, but it strengthens your spiritual muscles every time. When we take the time to discipline ourselves and block everything else out and spend time in the presence of God, we spiritually grow. The reward is supernatural strength in an overwhelming world. And yes, sometimes God answers our prayers. Sometimes he gives us what we ask for. But prayer is practicing the presence of God, not just petitioning the power of God. Being with God is the reward, even if he never gives us what, he, what we want or what we ask for. He is enough. And if we practice times of blocking everything else out and spending time with him, practicing, practicing this spiritual discipline of prayer, we'll find that he's enough, even when we don't get what we ask for. In verses 7 and 8, Jesus really talks about like praying like a normal person. Notice what he says here. He says, don't babble like the Gentiles or the pagans, those who don't know the one true God. Since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. They're, they're essentially like, have you ever seen a kid when they come up to a parent and they're like, can I get this action figure? And the parent's like, nope, can't get that. And then they're like, please, 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 please. And they're like, don't do the whole story. Please, 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 please. And finally the parent's like, let's just get it. Like, I'm so sick of hearing about this. 
that, that may have been me as a kid growing up. But, um, sometimes that's how we think with God. Like, man, if I just say it over and over and over and over and over and over again, he'll just give it to you. And Jesus says, don't babble like the Gentiles. You're just repeating words without meaning or thinking about what you're saying. He says, your father already knows what you need before you ask. Many times when we pray, we think we need to talk differently than we do in everyday life. You know, like we talk to God differently than we talk to anybody else. There was this guy in Tennessee um, at the church I was a pastor at before I moved up here. And every time he would pray, he'd go, Dear Lord God, we have gathered in your presence, Lord God, to experience, Lord God, your love. And Lord God, you have given us your word, Lord God, and we're so grateful, Lord God, for everything that Lord God is. And I mean, it'd be like 3,000 times he says, Lord God, in one prayer. And I'm like, no one talks like that. Like, you know, if I'm talking to Justin, I'm like, hey, Justin, want to hang out, Justin? I like you, Justin. We should be friends, Justin. Hey, Justin. Like, he'd be like, shut up. Like, stop talking to me like that. Somehow when we pray, we think we got to talk different than normal. Talk normal to Jesus. Talk normal to God when you pray. Praying the same thing over and over doesn't make him do it. And I think sometimes we're like, I don't know what to say to God. So we're just like, God bless me. Give me a good day. Amen. You know, and we just start. Have you ever found yourself doing this where you pray? And then you're like, that's the exact same prayer I just prayed three hours ago. Like I'm saying nothing new. I'm not, I'm not talking to him. I'm literally just mouthing the same words. God knows what you need before you pray to Him. We pray to find what we need in Him, not from Him. There's not some magic formula. I think sometimes we think like, okay, have you ever seen one of these where it's like, you praise, and then you confess, then you ask for something, and then you get it, you know? Like, if you just follow the right formula, the right equation, you put the right pieces in your prayer, then you'll get that red Corvette that you want at the end of the prayer. But there's not an equation to have a relationship with God. He wants you to sit in his presence and enjoy being with him. See, prayer is not just requesting things from God. It's experiencing God. It's praising God. It's sitting in his presence and dwelling in his love. Pausing to spend time harmonizing your soul with his spirit. And it's not just speaking either. Sometimes we rush so quick. Like we sit down or maybe you kneel down to pray. And you're like, okay, God, here's my laundry list of what needs to get done. I've tried to just back off and say, I'm going to sit here for a minute and just say, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for loving me, for allowing me to serve you. And just linger in that silence. We hate silence in our society, right? We're always going to turn on the music, turn on the radio, move to the next thing. And sometimes we need to sit and listen and wait. And sometimes I just say, God... Remind me of your love. And instead of rambling on to the next thought, just sitting there for a minute and letting him bring to my mind all the ways that he's been so good to me. I find sometimes when I sit and listen, there's a whisper in my heart and my soul, not something I hear, but something I feel, where God just says, you are loved. You are loved. God knows what you need, but he wants you not just your wish list. He already knows your wish list before you pray. He wants you. See, God is a father. That's what Jesus calls him here. Our father. Santa gets your Christmas wish list, but he's not there to pick you up when you scrape your knee falling off your bike. A father is. Santa gets your Christmas wish list, but he doesn't eat dinner with you. A father does. 
Santa gets your wish list letter, but he doesn't get your hugs on Christmas morning. A father does. See, God wants to be your father, not your Santa Claus. He wants to be your daily provider and guide. He wants you to live in the presence of his love. And sometimes we've said, no, just be my Santa Claus. It's a lot easier. I get everything I want, and there's no attachment. Now, some of you might have had really, really great fathers. And so when Jesus says, God, our father, you're like, man, I get that. I had a great, amazing dad. Some of you might have had really crappy dads, really horrible fathers. But God, the father, is the best father. He's the father that you see in storybooks and movies. And you're like, man, I wish there were dads like that. That's amazing. Look how sacrificial and kind and loving and supportive he is. God the Father is the perfect Father we wish we could all have and be. In Matthew 7, verses 9 through 11, Jesus says, Which of you, if your kid asks for bread, will give him a rock? Can you imagine this? He's like, the kid's like, Dad, I'm hungry. Like, eat this rock. That'd be horrible, right? No, no dad would do that. Or if he asked for a fish, you'd give him a snake. He's like, yeah, I'm really hungry. Here's a fish. He's like, take a poisonous snake instead. No dad would do that. Unless you were a horrible dad. And Jesus said this, if then evil dads, bad dads, know how to give good gifts to their children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? I think sometimes we think about God like he's a bad dad. He asks us stuff and he doesn't give it to us. We go through hard things and we're like, where were you at, dad? He's a better dad than we could ever God is a good father who won't give us bad gifts because he loves us. And sometimes that means what I'm asking for, I don't realize is a bad gift. I love Calvin and Hobbes, the old uh, comic strip that was in the newspaper when I was a kid. And it was about this boy and his stuffed tiger and the adventures they had. And he would always write these wish lists to Santa. And he would say, I want a flamethrower, a tomahawk missile, a nuclear warhead. You know, when he's this little nine-year-old kid asking for this stuff. And Santa would always write a letter back and be like, I'm not giving you those socks. You know, and every Christmas he'd get socks. And he's like, come on, Santa, get with the program. But sometimes we're asking God, we're like, God, please give me this thing. And God says, it's not safe or healthy or good for you to have this right now. He's a good father. God always says no because he loves us, not because he hates us. God always says no because he loves us, not because he's angry. Jesus continues in verse 9 by warning us that prayer should honor God's name as holy or hallowed or set apart. Now, we should talk to God in a normal language, but we should remember that he's a father and he deserves respect. I've occasionally met people, and I understand what they're trying to do. They're trying to be so casual with God that they talk to him like in a way that they wouldn't even talk to a friend. And they're like, what's up, bro? I remember this one guy I was praying with. And he, he was just trying to be that cool young pastor guy, you know. And he's like, what's up, bro, in heaven? Thanks so much, man. And I'm like, this just feels flippant. And it feels cheap. And it feels fake. I mean, I wouldn't talk to my dad like that. I would still respect him as my father. And when we talk to God the Father, we can talk to him in a normal voice, with normal language. We can be honest about what we're feeling. God can take it when you say, God, I don't understand this. This is messed up. This is, this is, I just don't understand why I'm going through this. Where are you at? That doesn't scare God. He can take it. But there's something when we get real flippant with him and we're like, what's up, you know, bro in heaven? Let's, let's be respectful that he's our father. 
And then Jesus says in verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done. Our prayer should center around the kingdom of God and the will of God being done. Not our will being done, God's will being done. Now think about this. If you're like me, most of my prayers are about me getting what I want, not God getting what he wants in me and around me. Most of the things I pray for are like, God, make my life more comfortable, make my family more safe, make things better for me, instead of making me better where I am. Too often we look at everything around us that we want to change, and God's looking at us, and he wants to change us through prayer, rather than changing everything around us. And to pray like Jesus, to build our spiritual discipline of prayer, it requires knowing what Jesus would ask for and praying for what he wants. His will be done, not ours. We often end our prayers with, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now that's not a magic tagline that you throw onto anything in order to get what you want from God. That's saying, we're praying for the very things that we think Jesus would pray for. We're praying for what we think Jesus would pray for. Essentially, we're signing Jesus' name to the end of our prayer because we feel like what we're praying for is exactly what he would want. Whoa, that changes how you pray. All of a sudden, I realize I prayed for some things that Jesus probably wouldn't sign his name to. There's some things I've tried to get out of that Jesus would probably want me to go through. There's some things that I want that Jesus would say, you really don't need that. And so it makes me re-examine my prayers. Am I asking for something that I can sign Jesus' name to? We're asking for something that Jesus would say, uh, I don't think I can get behind that. In verse 11, Jesus instructs us to pray about what we need today. Give us today our daily bread. Not tomorrow or next month or next year, what we need today. Most of my prayers are about ensuring that my future is comfortable and safe and convenient for me. Because that's what I love. Instead of praying, God, meet my needs today. Because you'll be the same God tomorrow when I have new needs. God will provide our daily bread, but he will never promise to provide future comfort to us. In Proverbs 30, verses 8 and 9, the writer of this proverb says, Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor great riches, but give me only my daily bread. Because if I have too much, I will disown you and say, Who is God? I don't know. Or if I have too little, I might steal and dishonor the name of my God. When was the last time you prayed for not too much? I'm always praying, I'll take too much. Like, give me plenty, give me lots. Like, I don't need just my salary. A million dollars would be nice, right? We always want to win the lottery and have too much. And this proverb, this wise saying says, if you ask for too much, you'll abandon God. When was the last time you said, God, give me just a that seems weird in America, right? We never pray for just enough. We always want more. Jesus says to ask for our daily bread. And then in verse 12, Jesus makes a powerful statement here. He says, and forgive us our debts even as we forgive those who have debts against us. Jesus reminds us that we will experience forgiveness by the same measure that we show forgiveness to others. You will doubt that Jesus has forgiven you as long as you refuse to forgive someone else. Many times when I'm like, oh man, I just, I'm really wrestling with whether or not God can forgive me about this thing in my past or my present. And, and I realize, oh, it's also because I'm not forgiving this person over here. 
And once I show forgiveness, it reminds me of the forgiveness I've experienced in Jesus Christ. And finally, in verse 13, Jesus says, Do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I think sometimes we pray prayers like we're living in a completely physical, materialistic world, and there's nothing spiritual taking place around us. We're at war. You're in a spiritual war. I'm in a spiritual war. This world is a cosmic battle between good and evil, and we're pawns in a galactic game that stretches across time and space. And Jesus reminds us here that our prayers are not just about what we can see, but about what we can't see. He reminds us that without the supernatural power and presence of God, we, we'd be wiped off the map in an instant. Most of us wake up and we think, I can handle this day. I'm going to go to the same job and do the same things and face the same things I always do. I'll be okay. And we forget that we're in a spiritual battle. And if we don't have supernatural strength, we're going to be overwhelmed and overcome. And a lot of us try to walk through our day. Like a soldier that goes into battle without any equipment or without any training because we don't start with prayer. And ask for God's supernatural power and protection as we go about the day. Every day, you and I wake up on the front lines of a spiritual war between good and evil. And it would be crazy to go into battle without the supernatural protection of prayer. Prayer makes us spiritually strong so we can live and love like Jesus. So each week as we talk about the spiritual disciplines, we talk about how do you implement these in your everyday life? Like practically, what does it look like? I think that a real easy thing to do is to choose a time each day where you say, I'm going to stop, turn off the cell phone or leave it outside the room and focus and practice sitting in the presence of God. Start with five minutes. It'll feel like the longest five minutes of your entire life. It's amazing how slow time goes when you're trying to pray. And then you can raise it as you become more comfortable. But take, start with five minutes a day and just sit in the presence of God. Practice praising Him and thanking Him and sitting quietly more than you speak. Let Him remind you of His love. Set a reoccurring alarm on your phone is another idea for every hour. I used to do this when I worked in an office. I'd have it on my little Google Calendar that every hour it would pop up, and it would just remind me, reconnect with God. And I'd take a few seconds every hour to just say, God, I need you. I needed you this last hour. I need you this hour, and I'll need you the hour after this. God, keep, keep, uh, keep me in your presence, and Lord, keep your presence in the front of my mind. And then also, each spiritual discipline should be enjoyed in community. Like, it's not just something we do individual, but spend time each week praying with other people and for other people. Maybe you can set an alarm each week at a certain time where you all say, hey, we're not going to all get together, but at this time we're all going to pray about the same thing. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for prayer. The very fact that we can talk to you. Thank you that we can be in your presence even though you're in heaven and we're on earth. Because of your spirit, you're always with us. Forgive us for so often being distracted, for being so busy doing things we forget to be with you. Because it's always been about being with you, knowing you, spending time with you. God, I pray that you will teach us to be people of prayer. Not people who just talk about prayer. Not just people who want your power through prayer. But people who long for your presence as we stop.
God, we pray that you will be honored this week as we prioritize praying and spending time. I pray all these things like I believe Jesus.